This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Ingress, number one in its field. When Mitchell Beer left school, his first instinct was to go away from horse racing as a career choice. As the son of hard-working jockey Les Beer, who's now in retirement, Mitchell had spent a lot of time on Victorian racecourses and had seen firsthand the disappointments that racing can bring. He was some months into a golf apprenticeship when the genetic forces took over, and it wasn't long before he asked his father to help him find a job in a racing stable. By his own admission, Mitchell was very green when he walked into Lloyd Williams' Flemington stable under the control of Graham Rogerson at that time. He spent four years working in that stable, but decided on a change when Lloyd Williams elected to move the operation to Macedon Lodge. Next adventure was a four-year stint with Russell Cameron, a trainer for whom he had great respect. Then to the Mornington Peninsula, where he worked for Jason Warren, and after that he felt he was ready to train in his own right. Veteran Mornington trainer Max Hinton offered him the use of his stable complex and it was Mitchell who suggested they should train in partnership. And so began a career which is rapidly gaining momentum. Welcome to the podcast, Mitchell Beer. Morning, uh, John. How are you going? Very good. Thanks for your time, Mitch. Well, what a, what a wonderful gesture it was by Max Hinton to kickstart your career. Yeah, it was uh, it was a fantastic um, stepping stone, and and one that in previous years I guess hasn't been available. A great introduction with training partnerships, and uh, it was the great stepping stone to make that leap into training. Your first winner with Max was Jackie's Joy. She won a race at Kilmore pretty quickly, and then she put two together at Caulfield. Big thrill! It was fantastic. I uh, it was a bit of a. Uh, false guide into the training ranks, I think, John. Uh, she was our first runner and was a winner and won her next two on a Saturday at Caulfield, and uh, I thought, how easy is this caper? <laughs> as as many other trainers have over the years. Now, yeah, but she was a very special horse and, and certainly helped um, kickstart my career. You and Max won a Group 3 at Mooney Valley with Almighty Girl and the jockey, and he's still going strong, Glenn Boss. Yeah, the great Glen Boss. I um, I took her down to for an exhibition gallop there at Mooney Valley. She hadn't seen the track before, and and uh, and uh, I, I said, oh, we better give her a nice gallop, and 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 she ran home in about twenty five seconds, and mm. I think I went white, and uh, he got off it, and he gave me a wink and pat me on the head, and he said, you're going to train your first group winner on Friday night, and that was uh, the last words I think he said to me. Yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, it was fantastic to have a uh, a cool head and, and 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 a fantastic jockey and and help me guide me to my first uh, group winner. You made the decision to train in your own right at Albury late last year. It was a bold move, Mitchell. What drove that decision? Uh, I felt you know having grown up on the on the Victorian uh, racing landscape, the whole the whole um, demographic of of training in Victoria changed. Um, the, the bigger were getting bigger and, and uh, they were travelling everywhere and they had the numbers. And I just felt m- my team, I was, I was travelling around Victoria trying to dodge the bigger stables and it became uh, too hard. And uh, I thought Aubrey was just a, a fantastic opportunity and, and a great logistic place to train horses. 
and it's worked out exactly that way. Yeah, I couldn't have uh, imagined it working any better, John. It's been a uh, it's been a terrific ten months in Aubrey. Uh, the stable's really built, and um, we're, we're gaining a lot of momentum. Before we look at your training career to this point, let's study your family background. Now, your dad, as I mentioned in the introduction, Les, is now retired on the land at Deniliquin. He quit the saddle a few years ago now after a very productive career, which saw him ride very close to a 1,000 winners, Mitch. He did it tough with weight issues for most of those years, though. Yeah, Dad always battled, and... I guess you don't realise how tough he did do it until you you grow up a bit and uh, and, and and you get in the industry yourself. So um, it was an amazing introduction uh, and a great childhood growing up with my brothers and sisters in the in the back of the car heading off to the races. And um, you know, Dad's been a, a very very big part of uh, of my career. He was my introduction to racing and. Just lucky that uh, that we all liked it in the family because there wasn't much else to talk about. Your dad rode over the jumps on occasions too and uh, there's one very significant jumping win that he recorded at Mooney Valley one one day, the Berwick Hurdle on a horse called Trismo. Yeah, he was uh, always a very special horse and um, I think uh, mum and dad might have been doing it pretty tough at the time and and um, I think mum was a pretty significant owner in, in Trismo and um, mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, dad always had a, a, a fair amount of time to sit down and and tell you the story about him, but uh, it was a, it was a fantastic thing that Dad uh, did lots of things, um, including riding over the jumps. Mm. You were only a year old at that time, so your recollections are vague. <laughs> yeah, but the, the story was being drummed into me. You can always <laughs> tell uh, you can always tell when a jockey's had a a, a good earn out of a horse. He, he he brings a story up quite often. <laughs> you were actually born on the Gold Coast. Your dad had quit riding for a while and he was training for the legendary Russ Hins, who died in 1991. Russ Hins was a member of the Queensland Legislative Assembly for many, many years and a racing and trotting fanatic. Yeah, obviously I was, I was quite young and, and, um, and was born up there and, and never really uh, grew up in time to, to understand what an impact uh, Russ Hins had on, on, on racing in Queensland and, and how he really was a driving force for the whole industry. So um, it was uh, great to be, to be born and, and, and spend the first part of, uh, of my life in uh, such a, a rich part of, of racing history. You were about seven when the family decided to move back to Victoria and I think Dad made a return to the saddle at that time. He did. Uh, he uh, he moved from Queensland down to Geelong and was training, and then uh, um, we headed back up to Melbourne when I was about seven, and, and, and Dad started riding again, and, and I guess that's when we uh, we really were getting into that interested and keen stage of learning about racing, and, and then Dad had started riding again. So, um, yeah, we, we spent uh, all our weekends at the races, and, and that's where it really started to grow. I never met your dad, but I was very aware of his achievements, and I recall that he was spoken of very highly as a horseman and a race rider. Yeah, he was, um, because he'd done it all and trained and broke in horses and rode over the jumps and that, he was, he was much admired and, and a very good judge of a horse uh, track work-wise and a very, very good mentor to a, a lot of um, uh, jockeys and I, and I see a, a, a lot of very, very good 
senior writers now and I can remember them, you know, getting a stern talking to from dad around the coffee table and we were made to wait in the lounge room and he was mm-hmm. a good mentor for, uh, for a lot of young writers. You tell one good story about his involvement with a brilliant horse called Weekend Hustler. Now, this gelding had a few quirks and trainer Ross McDonald insisted on your dad riding him in most of his track work. He had a terrific opinion of the horse early on. Yeah, I was uh, I was working for Russell Cameron at the time, and Dad picked me up from work uh, one morning and um, said to me that he'd uh, he'd galloped the the nicest horse he'd ever galloped in his life. And mm. I thought that uh, you know one of the big trainers or someone must have got him on one. And I said, oh, what was it? And, and uh, he said it hasn't got a name yet. And I said, oh, well, you've You've lost the plot. You've finally, your age has caught up to you. You've had enough. I said to him, I said, oh, you're mad. He said, I'm telling you, it's the best horse I've ever ridden. So lo and behold, you know, uh, a month later, it's off to have its first start and uh, had every chance, John. It went to a sale maiden and and ran fourth and I told him he should give it up and uh, that he'd lost his marbles and turned out to be weak and hustler. So... Mm. Uh, it certainly come back to bite me. Now, Dad had been promised the ride in that sale maiden, uh, but I think he was injured in a track fall, uh, you know, a week or so earlier, and he couldn't fulfil that commitment happily yeah. in the end. Yeah, it was uh, heartbreaking to see. Dad obviously very keen on the horse and done a lot of work with the horse and was sort of set to to uh, take the reins of his, his first start is quite a quirky sort of horse and uh, unfortunately he had, a, he had a track fall only sort of a week or 10 days out and mm. injured his back which, um, which saw him off the scenes of riding for a very significant time after that. So, um, you know, I, said, I think it does, says a lot about Dad's character where, you know, he never once complained about it and never once said, oh, I should have been riding that horse. He pulled his socks up and, and did his best job in educating it and riding him work and, you know, that horse would would never have gone on to the heights of it did without um, Dad's role. Absolutely. You know, after that sale maiden, he won five straight, including the Ascot Vale, which was a group one in the, that era, uh, and the Caulfield Guineas. And then in the autumn of 2008, he put together an astonishing four straight group ones. He won the Oakley Plate, the New Market, the Randwick Guineas and the George Ryder Stakes. Uh, then he went for a spell, so it was six group ones in his first 11 starts. Yeah, it was just a ph- phenomenal, um, absolutely phenomenal horse and, and and I had a little bit to do with him um, and through those stages and um, it was uh, it was just a once-in-a-lifetime horse and for Dad to be so involved and um, and have so much love and time for the horse, they really just got on. He was, a, he was a, quite a quirky horse. He certainly had his tricks. He didn't like too many people, but uh, Ad and Weekend Hustler shared a, a very special bond. He won one more Group 1 after that, the Underwood Stakes, to make it a total of seven. Now, Mitch, we're going to pause for a break on the podcast. Back in a moment. A catalogue of almost 200 horses will be offered for sale at the final Inglis Auction of the Year, the 2019 Ready to Race Sale at Riverside Stables on Tuesday, October 22nd. All horses are two-year-olds, broken in and prepared by experienced horse people and presented for sale, literally ready to race. 
Each horse will undertake a breeze up session, which is a gallop ending in a 200 meter sprint. Each breeze up will be recorded, which will enable prospective buyers to get a gauge on a horse's action, size and potential ability. There'll be an additional breeze up session this year at Eagle Farm in Brisbane on Monday, September the 23rd, and other sessions will be held at Cranbourne, September the 13th, Warwick Farm, September 20th, Taupo in New Zealand, September the 23rd, with a second session at Warwick Farm on Friday, October the 18th. The strength and quality of the English Ready to Race Sale catalogue is unparalleled in Australasia. My guest is trainer Mitchell Beer. Well, your first job in racing now, uh, Lloyd Williams, under the management of Graham Rogerson at the time, and you tell me that you were flat out girthing one up. Even though you were the son of a jockey, you really hadn't had much to do with horses hands-on at that time. No, I, um, I, I'd spent a lot of time going to the races and, and, and you know, could reel off facts and figures and watch a race and so forth, but... Uh, yeah, I was uh, I was flat putting a head collar on um, at, at that stage of my life, which was pretty embarrassing. But I was actually lucky. I rocked up to Lloyd Williams, and they uh, they took me into their operation, and um, and uh, you know I started pretty low, and I wasn't too fond of uh, doing the boxes, John. So I thought I'd better <laughs> pick up this caper pretty quickly and uh, and work my way through the ranks. And um, it was a f- an amazing institution where. You know, if you worked hard, um, regardless of your age or, or experience, you were you were given responsibilities and allowed to climb through the ranks in a, in a brilliant operation. And um, you know, I ended up with a really good job there, and, and it really nurtured me and allowed me to uh, propel my career. Second job was with a man you respected greatly, Russell Cameron, a multiple Group One winning trainer. Yeah, he um, he was just an, an amazing person to work for and I think out of all my um out of all my racing um working and, and working with you it was just fate to to work with Russell I, I certainly wouldn't be where I am now without working for him uh, a brilliant horseman and uh, a, a judge of a horse of second to none and the four years there were just uh, absolutely incredible and I'm very sad to hear Mitch that Russell isn't enjoying the best of health no unfortunately um He's got a terrible disease and a fight on his hands at the moment, and um, uh, it was so fantastic to see his son Scott uh, take over the reins and train a, a city winner yesterday at Mooney Valley, and it was a very, very special moment for me watching it. I know how pleasing uh, you know Russell would have been. He he comes from a great racing family. His father Ted was an incredible trainer, and now for Scott to take over those reins, it was a, it was a very proud moment um, to, to to see that transition. Uh, come for Scotty. Well, you got out of town after your four years with Russell Cameron to the beautiful Mornington Peninsula, and you were actually assistant trainer there to Jason Warren, who sent you away a couple of times with a very good horse he had in Bell Sprinter. I know you brought him to Sydney to win the Galaxy. Uh, yeah, it was amazing time, uh, a brilliant sprinter, and... Um uh, we did a lot of lot of travelling with Bell Sprinter and, um, and and a number of other horses. It was a great next step for me. And between um, you know travelling him around and, and making a trip over to Singapore as well with him was was absolutely fantastic. And he ran second there in the big one, the Chris Flyer International. 
Yeah, um, it was certainly an eye-opening experience to, uh, you know, jump on a cargo plane with a horse and, and fly over to Singapore, and, and we spent nearly a month there, and uh, a very proud moment uh, for us to run second in the Group 1. It's sort of an amazing feeling when you take a horse internationally for, for a group race. It's it's not only about the horse and the trainer and the jockey. You sort of get that feeling that you're representing your country and probably one of the best experiences of my life. Let's pay tribute to your sister, Ashley, a very capable jockey until a nasty ankle injury terminated her career, but she rode, rode a lot of winners, I think 60 in all, in a pretty short time. Yeah, Ash is... Um uh, she's a, t- a terrific sister and she's a, a, a massive help to me up here and unfortunately her career with her riding was was cut short um but uh i guess she got that bean from dad where she's a a very very good judge of uh, uh track work gallop and um i respect her uh, uh thoughts and decisions a lot and when she says uh one's right and it's ready to go she's she's not often wrong so she's riding work again yeah, yep, she rides work a little bit for me. She can sort of handle doing two or three a morning um, without the ankle getting too sore. And then um, she steps off to her main job of, uh, of managing jockeys, uh, which she's sort of doing a really good job on. It's a new career for her, uh, but she's going fantastic at the caper. And she has a few handy riders on the books. Who are they? Yeah, she's got uh, Nikita Berryman and Jake Noonan and uh, leading apprentice uh, Theo Nugent as well. And um, she manages Jordan Mallion, our stable rider, uh, up in this area. So she's going along really well. Before you moved to Albury, you contacted all of your owners to, um, to inform them of your decision, fully expecting to lose a horse or two. It didn't happen. No, I was, I was shocked, to be honest, John. I, I made the decision and... Um, you know, it, it was an easy decision for me, but I, I was unsure of how my owners were going to take it. They're all sort of Mornington or Melbourne-based and um, sent out the group email and, and rang all my clients and um, I was really prepared to lose up to probably half of my team. Uh, but I was shocked to, to not lose a horse and our entire stable shift up to, uh, to Aubrey. You've been there 10 months and the winners have flowed at a nice healthy rate. Now, you're currently working... 55 horses. Has that been a surprise? You went there with 20. Yeah, well, I was <laughs> I was surprised to bring 20 up. So to have, you know, a solid 50 in work um, uh, 10 months later uh, is just phenomenal. And uh, we've really got some nice horses coming through the system now. And, and I think we have broken in 18 yearlings uh, already, uh, you know, just gone two-year-olds. So... Mm. The future is really bright for us up here and I couldn't have imagined it at all um, panning out this well. Now, where do you put 55 horses? It's a good question. Uh, most of them in my backyard. Uh, we've, got, uh, we've got 40 boxes uh, literally uh, 20 metres from our back doorstep here and um, then we have uh, a, another a lot of stables next door. And uh, we're very lucky up here. We've got a lot of great horse facilities with water walker and, and, and sort of pre-training farms close by, so we, we rotate locally uh, throughout the area. A mare called Gwyneth has been very good for you. You won three with her when training in partnership with Max Hinton, including one at Mooney Valley, and you've won another three in your own right, including one at Canterbury. Where is Gwyneth? 
Gwyneth is just retired uh, in the last few weeks. She's off to, off to stud for her owner. So she's been a very special horse. She um, she I thought she could win her first start, and she bucked coming out of the barriers and got banned for racing and took her back to the trials, and she went average, and I said, oh, God, this isn't working out too well, and went to see her next start and led all the way at $101 and didn't have a cent on, and she's never looked back. So... Um, <laughs> It's a, it's a funny caper, and, and she's probably taught me more about training horses than, than any other horse. It's, uh, it's, it's that not, never give up attitude, and we ended up winning you know, nearly 200,000 with her. Mm. Dreams of Paris has been a handy mare. She won a race at Kilmore, she won a race at Caulfield, and she also won the Cootamundra Cup. Yeah, she was a, a terrific uh, a terrific mare that we, we got out of New Zealand, and... and um, she won the won the Cootamundra Cup for us. I hadn't been here very long, and that was our first uh, real country cup we had a runner in, and it was a, a big eye opener. It was fantastic um, to win the the, the Cootamundra Cup, and then we made the bold decision to uh, take her from Albury down to Tasmania for a, for a listed race where she ran second and got some valuable black top for her owners. So um, she's been a, a bonny little mare. Logan River has been racing well, Mitchell. He won at the Sapphire Coast recently and uh, might go on and win another one or two. Yeah, he's a bit of a pin-up horse for, uh, for us. He was a very, very cheap tried horse uh, and uh, he's won you know, nearly 70000 for his owners from only sort of six starts. So he, he's a good pin-up horse of what we can do for, for getting horses out of the sort of bigger stables in Sydney and Melbourne and, um, and, and getting some money back for, for their owners. You're like a mare called Anna Barbella. She's only had five starts, one win, two placings. Well-bred, she's by So You Think. Uh, she won a maiden at Albury. Tony McAvoy had her early in the piece. He might have given her one start. Yeah, I think we, we, we purchased her after one tailed-off sort of run and uh, or a trial, and we didn't have to give much money for it all, and she's. In fact, I, I paid so little for her that I thought, oh, I, I don't know how I'm going to sell it. You know, who's going to mm. want to go in a in a five grand horse? So, um, she got off the truck, and and my sister Ash fell in love with her, and she was a bit of a handful, and she got her going, and um, it was very special to uh, to win her first start for us here over the Aubrey Carnival um, with Nikita Berryman. Um, on board, and uh, it was a you know it was only a maiden win, but it was a very very special win for us since we've moved up here, and um, it was great for the whole team. You won the Eden Cup at the Sapphire Coast meeting July twenty eight with a horse called Mister Trump. That was a mile race. Clients bought him, I think, after a couple of moderate efforts in New Zealand, and he didn't do a lot for you his first couple, but has improved sharply. Yeah, he's a he's a nice miler, um, and uh, we sort of just gave him a couple of fitness runs um, to get going, and and uh, he he won the uh, the Eden Cup really well first go at a mile in Australia uh, last weekend, and he's off to uh, a Class Three eighteen hundred Tab Highway in, in Sydney on Saturday, so mm. his owners are, are very excited now they're, they're to have a Saturday runner, and and they're just a. Uh, a great initiative, um, and uh, can't wait to get him up to Sydney on Saturday. You're one trainer who has been blown away by the support Racing New South Wales has given country racing. If you happen to be eligible for a Bob's bonus on top of the increased prize money, 
Owners can pick up tremendous money to win a race in the bush. The the support that and, and the infrastructure that that racing New South Wales have put into country racing has uh, absolutely redefined my business and, and, and my career. Um, the the races and the and the eligibility races that they run for for country horses only um, is phenomenal and it attracts horses to my stable and allows horses to race. Uh, probably a bit longer than than maybe their rating gets them, and uh, it allows you know owners to to win back more money and continue to invest. It's it's been phenomenal. To work fifty five horses as you're doing currently is an impossible task without good staff. Your racing manager Brent Crawford is an interesting case. He made the move from Victoria with you. Yeah, I. I one thing, uh, you know, with moving all the horses, but I, I had some great staff in, in Mornington and, and um, I was shocked when, when they decided to, to come with me also. So um, Brent is, is the backbone uh, of the stable. He, he runs the office. He, he takes care of all the staff um, and uh, he's, a, he's a great communicator with all our owners. So, you know, it, it, it's me there at the races and, and, and doing the thing, but... Um, Geez, we've got some terrific people back here, uh, my assistant trainer Dan, and we've got a lot of young kids that I can see really coming through the ranks in the next couple of years within this area and, and making careers of it themselves. Have you employed mainly locals? Yeah, we, we had a, a few people come with from Mornington, and, but I guess we've got about you know 14 staff now. Um, it's a big operation and, and, and a, lot of, a lot of locals and a, a great area because it's very horsey and um and uh i love you know the young girls finish work and and they go off and they they ride their own horses and they they compete in events during the weekend and um it's a very good horsey area and uh to have staff that have that love for the horse it's uh it's unbeatable many trainers are frustrated by a shortage of work riders how do you get on in that department yeah, I don't. I don't think we're immune to to that uh, issue. I think it's a it's a national issue, um, and uh, it's something that we're always continuing to work towards. Um, fortunately enough, um, we, we, we we've got some great work riders that we've retained for a long time. And Jordan Malian, our stable jockey, is in here riding work, and we've got a, a great apprentice, Belinda Ride, and. Um, you know, we just have to, to work around. We treadmill a lot of our horses and swim a lot of our horses. Um, but uh, I think it's a, it really is a national issue is attracting work rights. Mm. The best part about training in a country town is the fact that you don't have to start work in the middle of the night. No, it's fantastic. Uh, our track opens sort of just before 7 o'clock here and goes through to, to near 11, and I think that's why we're able to attract such great quality staff is, is they have a, uh, they have a life. Um, they're not getting up at, at 3am and, and, um, and working through the early hours. Um, we, we don't do split shifts here. We, we just sort of work one shift through and, um, the normality of, of, of having working in a stables without having that stable life, so to speak. Um, it, it's very attractive to them. You've got Jordan Mallion there as a resident stable jockey who happens to be a grandson of the great Mick Mallion and his father and your father are brothers. Jordan Mallion is your first cousin. 
Yeah, yeah, we uh, we keep it in the family here. It's um, it's been uh, great. Grew up with Jordan. We're very very close, and it was uh, fantastic growing up with um, with Mick Mallion as a as a part of my family, um, who's just a, an absolute gentleman and a, and a bit of a racing icon. And um, so to to see um, you know Jordan come come through the ranks, he he joined the team. He was riding very successfully in Asia and he wanted to return home and decided to, to call Aubrey home like us and it's been a great partnership over the last sort of four or five months. You constantly sing the praises of Nikita Berryman and Kayla Nisbet. Between them, they've ridden a lot of winners for you. Yeah, I've had uh, a great success with um, with uh, Kayla and, and Nikita and, um, you know, particularly Nikita through through my stages at, at Mornington and you know, loyalty is something that's really hard to find uh, anywhere, especially between trainers and jockeys. And and you know, she sticks with me through um, through the good runs and the bad runs, and, and 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 not one to jump off and chase a better ride. She supports the stable, and um, I get a massive thrill whenever whenever we combine for a winner. And um, Kayla also uh, a great jockey, and um, uh, really really around this area, she's pretty hard to beat. You have an older brother, Daniel, who's had no hands-on experience with horses at all, but he's into racing in a different way now. After a stint in Canberra as Chief of Staff to a Government Senator, he's now working for a corporate bookmaker. He's got shares in a horse or two, and every now and again, he puts a new owner your way. Yeah, he he got the brains, John. He, um, He knew where the money was. He's working for those corporate bookmakers, the, the blokes that always win. So he, uh, he's done very, very well, and um, it's great that he's a part of the industry as well and follows our horses closely. And he, he's been a terrific, terrific advocate for our stable, and he's always singing our praises. And, um, yeah, he's aligned us with, um, with some great new connections and some wonderful people that, that now race horses with us. You've come to the attention of many people as an up-and-coming trainer, with a very good future. Most importantly, you love what you're doing. You actually posted a tweet the other day, Mitchell, and this is a a rare sight. I'm not sure that I've seen a trainer do it before. You tweeted that you love training at Albury and how happy you are with your lot in life. You're just 30 years old, mate. It's all ahead of you. Yeah, I I sort of, I guess in racing and we're always looking for something faster and something can win one more race than the last one. And, um, it's a never ending chase. And, um, you know, every, every morning, John, I get to, to come to work and work with people who are, you know, consider mates and, and, and I'm very, very humble of, of what uh, I've achieved thus far. And, and, um, you know, I think that if, if this is ever, if this, if, if this is all it is for me and all it ever is, I, I'm more than satisfied. I, I get a great buzz out of training winners and um, working with great people and um, I just couldn't imagine myself uh, better placed anywhere else than, than where I am right now. Mitchell, I interviewed a retiring high-profile jockey recently and I posed the question, will you become a trainer? And he said, no. I see far too many grumpy trainers at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Obviously, you're not one of them. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's, 
you know, my, my outlook on, on, on training is, is, is unfortunately we probably deal with a lot of more bad news than good and most of the bad news is, is out of our control and and um, you can't be too hard on yourself and you've got to have a laugh and you, you've got to get over the bad quickly. Um, I think training is, it's easy to handle the winners and the success, but the better you are at dealing with the bad um, allows you to concentrate on the good and that's something I learned very early on and, and, and that's our, our metaphor around here. We, we deal with things, we move on and and, um, and a happy stable is a good stable. Mitchell, it's been a delight having you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Cheers, John. Thank you. And this podcast was brought to you and produced by Supernova Sound. The stallion representation at the English Ready to Race sale on October the 22nd is a who's who of the breeding industry. Better than ready, Nakoni, Brazen Bow, Not a Single Doubt, Deep Field, Rubik, Dundeal and Shooting to Win. And we've just scratched the surface. Add to that Hinch and Brook, So You Think, Holy Roman Emperor, Spirit of Boom, I Am Invincible, Starcraft, Medagliadoro, Tavistock, More Than Ready, Written Tycoon, No Nay Never and Zoostar. Inglis again team up with Racing New South Wales by presenting the sale three days after the Everest. The timing will ensure the attention of world buyers who'll be focused on Sydney at Everest time. October 22nd is the date for the English Ready to Race sale at Riverside.